Welcome to the One Away Show, presented by BW Missions. I am Brian Wish, and I am your host, and thanks so much for being here. On this show, I sit down with compelling entrepreneurs, authors, and rising leaders to talk through their most transformative relationships, experiences, and epiphanies. Curated with entrepreneurial leaders in mind, we'll dig into these finite moments in people's lives and understand how they helped set their path forward. What do Weight Watchers, ballroom dancing, marathon running, and TEDx talks have in common? For Tamsin Webster, the answer is me. For Tamsin's clients and audiences, the answer is the red thread, the universal tie between how people see the world and what they do in it. Part keynote speaker, part message strategist, and full-time idea whisperer, Tamsin uses her proprietary red thread method to help audiences, organizations, and individuals build and tell the story of their big ideas and create real transformative change. Tamsin's own red thread is woven through more than 20 years as a brand and message strategist. She holds an MBA in management communications and organizational behavior, an MA in arts administration, and bachelor's degrees in American studies and marketing. But Tamsin believes she learned the most about inspiring change in her 13 years as a Weight Watchers leader. As executive producer of TEDx Cambridge, one of the largest and longest running TEDx talks in the world, Tamsin coached everyone from a 10-year-old sort to a pervasive roboticist to a bioethics pioneer to build their red threads into ideas worth spreading. Now she's a globe-hopping keynote speaker on storytelling, branding, change management, and idea development, and go-to consultant for enterprise companies like Verizon, Johnson & Johnson, and State Street Bank who want their big ideas to have an even bigger impact. When she's not in the spotlight or helping others own theirs, Tamsin pursues ballroom dancing and runs the occasional marathon. She lives in Boston with her other half and two amazing boys with big ideas all of their own. Tamsin, welcome to the One Away Show. I am thrilled to be here, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, it's great, great to have you here. So what is the one away moment that you want to share with us today? You know, there, there's a few that came through, but I think that the one that spoke to me, as you said, before we started recording, the one that called um, was actually one that happened really early on in my career. Um, So I think I had to be about 22, 23. It was like really my first big job after grad school. And uh, I was a I was a, at the time I was a management consultant or a research associate, which is what they call like the bottom rung folks. And it was a, you know, as with most things, it was a, it was a, it was an opportunity that I really cared about. I like to like to do a good job. I like to have an effect. And um, it was a, it was an organization where I was really excited to work because they, they were about really big ideas and it felt like a place that I could really be part of that. And by and large, it felt like I had an opportunity to do that. And one day, uh, we had, I had my performance review and I remember this so distinctly, um, you know, cause I remember the woman who gave it, I remember what she looked like. I remember one of the distinct things better that she had these, like her eyebrows were tattooed on, but they'd faded. And so they were purple and she, she proceeded to say things like I had been doing a good job and my con- contributions were valuable and all of that kind of stuff. So I was just, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that's, you know, in, inside I'm like, yay, this is going so well. And then she says to me two things that really stuck with me. One is she says, but the problem is Tamsin, you're cheeky. And she didn't mean it in a good way. <laughs> 
And the second thing that she said was, have you considered losing weight? Right. I know. She said, you really need to do your hair and wear more lipstick. That was the other thing she said. So I was like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) So so it was a lot to take in all at once. Um, But I would say that that was, that is one of those moments because when you go in, it just, it like just so much about all of that was this complete, just dichotomy of you know message of expectation of just what is right and professional in the world like all of that um it it, it something like that happening actually so early in my career ended up being really important to me because it gave me you know sometimes the worst experiences can teach you the best lessons yeah. and so yeah. I mean, so it taught me so much because, you know, one of the first things was my, my reaction to this being described as cheeky. And I remember, like I said, she did not mean it in a positive way, but I remember thinking, but I actually like that about myself. I like the fact that, that I'm a little bit irreverent and you know mm. that kind of thing. And I was like, well, do I want to work in a place that doesn't want me to be that? And right. that was one thing. Um, and then the whole, like, consider losing weight, do your hair, wear more lipstick. I should note that at the time I was in fact 50 pounds heavier than I am right now. This was not the reason I lost weight. <laughs> it was not because of her. Like it kind of was the opposite. I was like, oh, heck with you. Well, I don't need to lose weight. And I don't think people need to lose weight, period, unless they really feel like that that's what they want to do for their health and whatever. So just this kind of like one, two punch of that quote unquote performance yeah. review again, in the context of your job is great, but let's tell you about all this other stuff just really helped me get a quick, fast, hard centering on what some of the values were that I wanted to make sure that I was living going forward. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a discouraging experience. And also, you know, thinking you were in an empowered environment, empowering environment, but then realizing you, you couldn't even be your, yourself. They didn't even accept you for who you were. So like, why? No. Why? Yeah, exactly. I didn't stay there much longer after that. Yeah. Um, and what was so funny was that when, when I decided, you know, when I decided to leave, which was not that for, and I decided to, I mean, I mean, left. <laughs> so I mean, prior to taking that job and, and going to grad school, you know, I had this big dream for a lot of growing up that I wanted to work in art museums. And then when I was getting my, my MBA, um, which, uh, I did pretty young. I got my, I started my MBA program when I was 21. You get very lured into the salaries that they can pay you, um, as a manager consultant. And so I did that, but like it was, I think in a lot of ways, it was exactly the kick in the pants that I needed to go. This is not your path. This was, you know, this is, this is a place, this is an opportunity for you to decide if something means more to you than money, uh, respect being yourself, you know, all of this. Okay. Here it is, Tamsin. Here's your opportunity to choose what kind of person you're going to be. And I, when I decided to leave, I mean, like I said, I left, I left management consulting. I went to go work in a museum. After that, I moved from Texas to back to Boston. Um, and so it really was what I needed. And so it was funny because even though in the moment it was, it was, tragic. Um, and as you say, discouraging in a lot of ways, it was encouraging to be reminded about what was actually important. Mm. And I think, um, 
I'm glad, like I said, I, in a lot of ways, I'm really glad I had that experience because it made it a lot easier for me to recognize in future situations when that alignment was off. Mm. You know, I had a later boss who was like, well, Tamsin, you're a lone wolf. I'm like, well, no shit. Sure. Like, I'm sorry. Should I, can I? Yeah. Yeah. Can you, <laughs> you, can, you, you can, you can be your full self here. I can promise. I, I forgot to ask. And because I was like, that's why you hired me. Like, that's what I do. Like, that's like, you hired me to take on this whole project to, you know, to, to take over this arm, you know, you, that's what you hired me for. And they're like, well, yes, but you're a lone wolf. And I'm like, this is not, this should not be a surprise to you. Um, but thanks for giving me a name for it. So now I know the next time I go work someplace, uh, I am going to look for a place that supports lone wolfness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I want it to be my full lone wolfiness. And eventually I just work for myself and that is the ultimate job for the lone wolf. So there you wow. go. Wow. What a journey. I mean, you fought, I mean, I think what you said was so important about the alignment, right. And that experience gave you a gift to kind of maybe realize where you're off center, you know, from what you're meant to supposed to be doing. And then, you know, maybe the development of awareness around it. So, uh, really, really, uh, interesting. I think so many people, they just go in to the next job or the next relationship and what you did take the, you know, consulting side and art museum, like realizing, Hey, kind of find your way back, find your way back home to yourself. So uh, very cool. Something I'm just curious about as you were talking is uh, you started out at this job where, you know, clearly wasn't a fit, didn't accept you for who you were. What prior to taking that first job, you know, what was, who were you in like the college years or high school years in the sense of what you thought your life was going to be and what you wanted for yourself? Like, what did that look like? And maybe how does that contrast? So, yeah, I, uh, I lived, I, and I do live, I still live <laughs> and this started, definitely started in high school. I live, I live my life between two worlds. Um, so in high school, I was, uh, a very much an arts kid, you know, I was in chorus to the musicals, visual art written, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, creative writing awards, those kinds of things. Um, but I also really loved kind of the, you know, the, the, the other aspect of stuff, I always like to be able to understand different groups of people and what made them tick. So I was also the manager of the varsity boys baseball team. And to this day, I'm very proud to say that I can score like a hand score baseball game. And, you know, I can wow. still mark a three, six, three double play. I'm very excited about this. I'm very proud of this. <laughs> Nobody uses these skills anymore, but I still have them. It's great. Um, and so, cause I was just always really fascinated by, you know, in groups, out groups, you know, us, them, like what, what was this, what was this kind of, how did these two worlds work? And like I said, I love the arts, but I also knew that I did not have the hustle <laughs> to be a full-time artist of any kind. Um, and, and I, and I don't mean that I'm not somebody who works hard, but I had the gift of a couple people in my friend group, um, that, clearly like inclusive of my sister, by the way, who were just clearly so dedicated to their art. You know, one case, you know, one was a, you know, my sister's a screenwriter. She still is. Um, she's a Emmy award winning writers guild of America award winning screenwriter. Um, uh, 
she loved it, loved writing. And I had a, I had a friend who loved acting and I had a friend who loved singing. And these are people who to this day are professional singers, professional actors. And like I said, my sister is, you know, does what she, what she does um, and wins awards for it. What's her name? Uh, What's her name? So when oh, she, she is Kira Snyder. Uh, okay. So she won her awards for writing for the handmaid's tale. And she's now oh, wow. the showrunner for a new uh, HBO movie with, uh, excuse me, HBO series, J.J. Abrams' new HBO series called Demi Mond. Um, so yeah, she's a hot ticket, my sister. Um, <laughs> but I so I could so I had these examples of people who like had that, who are willing really to sacrifice anything for their art. And I was like, I love you, people. I am. I do not have that. Uh, but what I did understand was like, why does it have to be such a sacrifice? Like, why does it have to be so hard for people to pursue their art and for other people to get it? Like, why does that have to be the case? And, and so I really, like, if I like imagine myself, like I can remember this in high school, I was like, you know, someday I want to run like artist salons. Like I just, that's what I wanted. Like just make it easier for artists to make art. Hmm. Um, so I, but I, I also wanted to be employed. Like, this is what I mean. Like, I just didn't have the hustle for it. So I decided to study marketing in college and I promptly got bored with it and still stuck with it. But I added another degree. I added in um, American studies and art history so I could kind of get balance it out. So now I was living in two worlds, literally in college um, because I was in the business school and I was in the liberal arts college. Like, and so both of them. Um, and again, I could kind of see how, you know, with the American studies degree, like my whole point was like, I want to be able to understand the culture to which I'm going to market. And if I'm going to be in marketing, doesn't it make sense to understand people a little bit better than just what business school will tell you? And I can tell you, yes, it can. Um, and I just kept doing it. Like, so I went right, and I went right from undergrad to grad school. I did the same thing. I did a double degree in, in grad school. So same thing. I got an MBA in organizational behavior. And I also got an, a master's in arts administration because again, I thought at that point, like, all right, my path to helping artists is to, you know, run a museum or something like that. And then, and then, then I got sidetracked into management consulting, um, and then found my way back. But even then, I was just always in between. I, you know, when I went to go work for the museum, um, well, even as yeah, when I w- went to go work for the museum, I was, you know, I worked. I was, I meant to, I was meant to bridge the marketing and the fundraising departments. And then after that, I went and worked at the Boston Conservatory, and so here in Boston, a performing arts college. So I was still with the arts, still with my my love, but then now my job was to be in between, you know, the the school and its audience. Like, how do you get people in there, and how do you get how do you get parents to like un, you know <laughs> pony up forty to fifty thousand dollars a year to send their kid to an art school, um, and you know just all of that. And then from there, I went to Harvard Medical School, and I was doing the fundraising communication. So it's just I keep hopping between worlds, and even now my job is to help is to be the it's help people translate between worlds. So yeah, that's me. <laughs> I I've come to call myself an English to English translator, and it really does come back to even like back from high school, just sitting in between two worlds and going, oh, I get what you are both about. Let me help you understand each other. Yeah, that was a really long like, answer. Like an individual to the world translator. Huh. But yeah, I mean, I'm a human Rosetta Stone. That that's it. That's, <laughs> that's great. I mean, right? It's taking your 
your own, ex- I mean, look, I mean, it's taking a lot of your own experiences to synthesize them and maybe uh, like your book, The Red Thread, Find the Red Thread, like you've had to kind of thread your own uh, journey uh, together, take these experiences and accumulate it around something that, that's meaningful and that matters. And then, okay, and do that for others. And so, you know, well, you may have all these divergent experiences, you know, it seems like there's actually a lot of interconnection and you just have to kind of find your pocket to uh, thrive within. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times we will go looking for the meaning of something. We try to figure out like what is the plan that all of this is building towards. And I, and I take an opposite approach. It's not my own. I I just was able to put a name on it. I, it was a great book by um, an author named Viktor Frankl called man's search for meaning. And what I take, you know, one of the big things that I took away from that book was this idea of instead of saying like, what's my purpose? What is the plan? You know, what is this supposed to mean? Like, you know, and why can't I, why haven't I figured out this kind of grander plan? Mm. What I really took from, and what I take from Frankel's work is, okay, in any given situation, I have an opportunity to take the meaning from it. I get to decide what Mm. is the lesson I'm going to learn from this. And so what I think happens that, and particularly early in our lives and our careers is again, we're trying to like, we we follow a lot of other people's plans. Mm -hmm. I certainly did with like going into management consulting. We follow a lot of other people's plans and it makes sense because a lot of times those are fairly well-trod plans and they're safe and whatever. Um, And there's these little signs that maybe they're not the right plan for us and all Mm -hmm. of that. And what I found over time is that, you know what, it really is, you are building the contents of your container, like you, everything you do is, is shaping who you are and what you're putting out into the world. And one of the most powerful things you can do is just find a way to describe that container rather than try to fit yourself into some other container, Hmm. find the way to, to, you know, to, to, to describe your own. And because you're, you you really don't have any other option. You're building it anyway. Like everything that you're doing is, is building it anyway. So either you can try to force fit and lop things off and tack things on to try to kind of fit in this other thing that people say you should be doing, or you can say, well, here's what I am doing. Mm. And I'm going to find, you know, like adapting Frank a little bit, I'm going to find the value in that. And I'm going to find a way for, because it has value to me or else why would I be doing it? Right. Like that's, that's how I come to it. So it's like, you know, I keep doing this English to English translation thing. So there must be value in it. I can't be the only person who sees this. And then I was like, well, let me just to some extent, take a flyer on it. See how many other people need this work. And it turns out people need that work. They, they need, they need that help of figuring out how do I get my stuff to make sense to those people? And how can I understand what those people like who are those people so I can understand how I can better serve them. I mean, I think that's, I think I really believe to my core that each of us has something like that because we all live out patterns all the time, unconscious and not. And really it's just about surfacing that pattern and giving it a name. Yeah, no, I want to, I want to expand on well, three things, but two things within that you talked about those signs that, you know, if you're present to, you might not, you might be able to figure out like, something's not right, yeah. but you're following a script. And so I, I, some, this guy said to me in Seattle, like two months ago or three months ago, he said to me, um, he said, paths, paths are predetermined and quests are undetermined. And I think mm-hmm. like for yourself, and that really stuck for me and, you know, for yourself, it's like, you realize that predetermined path, maybe 
wasn't where you fit in. And then like Frank and then Frankel's work, just to build on everything you just said, I'm, I actually, I read it five years ago and I was blown away. And I'm, I'm reading a book right now called Emotional Agility. And Oh, Susan David. Yeah. And um, there, she talks about his work and how there's like a, a gray area between the stimulus and the, the action into yeah. the response and, and kind of how to work within that kind of, and it seems like you, you said something like, I felt there was a sign like that was a little off and you paid attention to it. And so it's like, I think it's cool. It's like you, you, through this journey that you went on, just come back to it, you kept giving yourself that, that awareness developing of what wasn't right for you and, yeah. and listening to that voice. So really cool. Um, just wanted to kind of hit those points. Oh, home. Thanks. So, yeah. My body didn't give me much of a choice in that. So again, kind of a, kind of a, a, a gift in <laughs> torture clothing. Uh, I had a panic disorder pretty severe for 17 years. I mean, really the first time I had it was uh, 16. It was the first time I got you know, take it to an emergency room with a panic attack was when I was 16. Um, the last one I had was when I was 34. So, um, I get the, well, something like that, 17 years from 16, whatever that is, um, 35. And so, and, and I say it was a gift because I would, because the offness oftentimes would set off a panic attack. And so when I started to reverse engineer, I was like, okay, well, I, you know, I feel these things. I feel this lack of alignment either with my beliefs or with my intentions or, you know, values, whether it's, you know, where I'm working or people that I'm with or whatever like that, it would literally create such dissonance in me that my, my body would react to it. I would react to it almost unconsciously. And so, um, yeah, it was hell while I lived with it, but I'm really honestly grateful for it because it, you know, I, it led me to be fairly ruthless and eliminating and eliminating those kinds of gaps, eliminating those times when something didn't feel right. Um, because yeah, in the beginning it was because, because like I didn't want it to evolve into a panic state, but once I, once I, you know, one of the things I always said about my panic disorder was I thought my way in so I can think my way out. Um, and once I thought my way out, there were still some lessons that were useful to me. And that was one of them, which was, you know, you're, there are signs all around you all the time, you know, however spiritual or universal or woo woo you want to be. But if you pay attention, there's always signs about how, like how something feels to you. You know, I, my, my, I have two boys um, and we've been doing a lot of pandemic comfort watching of TV. Hmm. Um, and one of the series that we loved and actually have loved en enough that now that we've watched it twice, um, all the way through is uh, a series called the good place. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, it was no. Kristen Bell and Ted Danson. Uh -oh. and it's it's you know, Michael Shore. He's the person who did Brooklyn nine, nine and parks and rec. And, hmm. and by the way, this is a great show. It is, it is essentially a, I would say a college level course in ethics and moral philosophy wow. hiding as a sitcom. And there's this one moment where Kristen Bell's character. So the whole, whole, and I don't, I'm not totally spoiling this because you can like read anything about this and you'll know this. It's all about this group of people who think they're in heaven and it turns out that they're actually in hell. And it's, and it's, and so like, there are people who were not good enough to make it into heaven. Um, but the torture is that they, 
they think that they are when the, when the series first starts. And then by the end of the first season, they realize, Oh no, 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 we're not in the good place. We're in the bad place. And there's this moment where Kristen Bell's character says that, you know, there's, she always would hear this. There was this little voice, right. That whenever she did something that was bad or that was not wrong or whatever, she would hear this little voice. And one of the things that she learned over the time of, you know, trying to be a better person in the good place was that that voice went away. Hmm. And I remember watching that and saying, you know, that's such a great example that I think all of us, whether it shows up as a voice or as a physical feeling or whatever, it's there. Like we have a reaction to everything that we do and just starting to listen to that reaction, whether it comes in the form of a voice or a feeling or whatever, um, can be really powerful. Yeah. Wow. It seems like you... Oh, first, that show sounds fascinating. It's um, so good. I love it. It's like, seriously, go watch it. <laughs> so. You've depicted it. And then just the the how present you are to those things around you, right? That setting the compass in a certain direction because you're tuning in properly. And we'll, we'll get to your career in a minute. I want one more, one more, or not your career, what you're doing today. Uh, you've had a great career. What, um, what I wanted to ask you is once you maybe felt that you were like locking in on the right path, have the frequency of those panic moments and attacks subsided or I'm just. Oh kidding. yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. Because I think, I don't know. I always think, kind of think about it as a pendulum. I mean, I remember, you know, in the, in early days of dating, you know, uh, like I, I remember even thinking of it then, like you, you tend to, I mean, maybe you've had the experience or maybe it's just me. Like I always thought it like, as you're trying to find the kind of the right person to be with, you tend to like swing person to per, like from relationship to relationship on this like crazy pendulum, right? Like you're like, you go out with someone who's a complete wild child and you're like, that didn't work. So you go out with someone like really straight laced. And like every time you're like, okay, I like that piece. Let me, yeah. And then, but let me balance it out. And it's kind of like this pendulum that starts really wide and then eventually kind of settles into the right, to the right thing. And I would say that that describes how I feel about, like finding that alignment for myself as well as it, 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 it took a lot of paying attention to whether it was in my career or whether it was in my personal life, paying a lot of attention to, okay, that, that part I didn't like, Mm. so I don't do that again, but okay. So what is it like? What's the opposite of that? Okay. All right. Let's so keep this, lose that, keep this, lose that, keep this, Mm. lose that until I get to a point where I'm like, all right, like, let's try to stay within again, not tight, but let's like these guardrails seem to be good ones. And these are the values that seem to be the ones that, that speak to me and that work for me over time. And so, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just, it's, there was, I feel that a lot less because I've learned by kind of establishing my own guidelines, like, okay, well, Tamsin, you're somebody who doesn't leave a gap between what you do and what you say as much as you can. And so if I do discover that I have left that kind of gap open, then I try to fix it. So a lot of it is by understanding I can, I, I avoid the situations for them to occur in the first place, but, and I'll tell you, like, I'm a hundred percent in the midst of like one of these moments right now of going, okay, out of alignment, time to fix things up. Um, I'm, I'm much more attuned to when things are off. Right. So, yeah. you know, just for a number of reasons, there's like, I've, I keep describing this. I've got one more thing on my plate than I can <laughs> actually handle. Um, and depending on what time of day it is, the thing that it is changes, but what it has meant is going, okay, I don't like how I'm feeling. It's not in this case, a, you know, a violation of, um, kind of deep values, but it is a violation of 
how I want to feel day to day, energy mm-hmm. level, control, et cetera. And so it's been a lot of renegotiation. It's basically saying, okay, I need to, I'm going to put this project off. It's being saying to someone who was like, Hey, let's do this vlog. And I'm like, Hey, sounds great. Can't do it this quarter. Okay. Sure. I can't talk. I'm like, really can't do it this quarter. So no, um, just a lot really being able to go. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I know how I want to feel. Hmm. What needs to happen for me to feel that way? Hmm. Classic therapy move, but I found that some of the things you learn in fer- therapy apply to the rest of your life. Yeah, go right. figure. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. Well, I mean, it seems like the journey of you, you've really gone down, just getting super comfortable like, with yourself and like owning who you are. And you know, obviously, it's a process. And you talked about you know getting all these experiences to really understand what to kind of sift out, what to add to and what to work through uh, to a degree. So yeah, I just appreciate you sharing your, your journey, right? Because it it gives so much color and context to maybe kind of how, how you found your path professionally, which I think we're at a good transition point to. I mean, it came out with a book recently called the red thread uh, and then, you know, about the work you do, but take us back to maybe how you, you know, on this windy circuitous path, like you found, you found a home within uh, the space that you're in today. Yeah. Well, some of it was that pendulum swing I talked about. So, you know, I, I figured out early, as you can tell that I liked being between two worlds. I really liked that. I really liked being able to have the insider outsider perspective simultaneously, because it always kind of made me feel like a, like a super secret special agent, you know, like, I was like a Bond girl, like all the time, um, because it it meant that like, oh, I can be part of this group and understand and but bring the awareness and knowledge of another group. And I chose even from an undergrad. So you know, like I said, I got a business degree in undergrad. Um, marketing was what I majored in. And and I, I did that intentionally because it felt like the most creative form mm-hmm. of business. It was the way I could still remain creative and be employed. <laughs> um but and but marketing is really about big ideas, right? It's about communicating the power of big ideas and the, communicating the power of an organization or an idea or whatever to an outside market. And the more that I did that work, the more that I realized that it is also, you know, marketers are translators. They are also, they're not just translating an organization out to the market. They're translating the market back to the organization. So the market, the, you know, in a, in a really strategic organization, the, the organization can respond to that. So it's not just, Hey, take this thing and push it out to the world. It's like, Oh, the world is looking for X. How does that affect how we're doing our, what we do? Um, and so, you know, marketing actually in marketing communications and branding was a really good fit because it, you know, was creative for me. It allowed me to kind of, you know, help people find their power, help get that exposed and help me sit between two worlds and be that translator that I like to be. And the more of the, you know, and I, and I, as you can hear, I hopped around a bit. I wanted to get a lot of different contexts. I, you know, I started in museums and then I was like, well, let me add performing arts. Cause if I want to be in the arts, like, you know, let me do that. And then I still felt like I wanted to be in nonprofits, but if I wanted to be in nonprofits, then I needed to know more about fundraising. So that's where I ended up at Harvard medical school. Cause then I was doing fundraising communication, you know, this, that we have this longstanding symbiotic relationship with, with information and we're, we're, on the precipice of losing the battle. Um, and it's just, I just don't, you know, those are just three that come to mind. And it's just yeah. really fascinating just to see, I mean, each one of them just gives me personally a different way to think about myself, the world, different ways to solve problems. I mean, it's just, 
you know, it's endlessly fascinating, you know, and the fact that my, you know, some of my clients have been, you know, are in wastewater treatment, which ends up being a lot more important than you'd think. But like with all the pandemic, like I have a such a deeper appreciation now for, you know, actually wastewater treatment plants are in the news all the time now as ways of detecting surges when they're happening and when they're going away because it shows up in the wastewater first. So anyway, I just love all that stuff because it just gives me new things to think about. Well, yeah, I and mean, I love having new things to think about. New perspectives. And, you know, I think what's so interesting about your work is, um, you know, where most people go to a job and they show up, then they go home and there's that kind of separation between home and life. You know, you, you get to learn all these perspectives in a deep yeah. way from individuals and help shape them. And then, okay, you can show up and talk about them. And it's almost like it's, it compounds right into everything else that you do. It does. So, I mean, yeah. You know, you're probably one of the most interesting people in the world, you know? So oh my gosh, I don't think so. I just, one thing <laughs> I know, one thing I know to be true is that the more you learn, the more you can learn. I mean, right. some of that's based in Carol Dweck's, you know, growth mindset stuff, but in my mind, like to me, you know, your, your brain, anybody's brain is like, it's like a beautiful quilt and everything that you learn gets, you know, gets attached to that quilt. And then you've got this another edge to add on to. Um, and, and you don't lose that stuff. That's the coolest thing. Like the more that you get exposed to across different areas. I mean, that's the thing I think that I love most about my work now. And it's certainly part of what I was trying to get to when I moved from working in organizations to working from agencies was being able to see things in a bunch of different areas at the same time. And when you start to see things in a bunch of different areas at the same time, you start to see like just amazing connections between things that you just wouldn't have seen otherwise. And you're able to bring in, you're like, you know, I might be talking to somebody about like, how do we build, resili build resilience and team members at a company? And I'm like, well, actually, you know, let's talk about mitochondria. Like it's very similar. Um, and it's just all of a sudden you're able to see these amazing connections and you start to start to see how um, it does all connect in these yeah. really fascinating and powerful ways. And yeah, I haven't thought about it that way about how like my, you know, I, yeah, I don't, there's no separation between my work and life and not just in like business, but actually in the ideas, like, right. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like, I get to go to school every day. And for some people that would be torture. And for me, it is bliss. I love well, it. Some people need like that intellectual stimulation daily or they get bored in life. And, you know, you're more, maybe we're two of the same people. Um, and I also love what you said about the body being a quilt, uh, yeah. or the mind being a quilt and just you get to add on layers and patches and, uh, make your own form and the other people can the more kind of squares you have on that quilt, right? Like the That's more, right. the more diverse and you can show up chameleon in different environments. So super cool. So I want to give uh, I shed some light on your recent book that you uh, published. Uh, yep. What compelled you to write it? What's been your experience publishing and what, you know, just take us down that journey as a, a published author. Congratulations. Well, thanks. Yeah. I, uh, I wrote it because I wanted to be able to, I wanted to be able, like, there's only one of me. And I knew, you know, after five years of using this process that I built with people one-on-one, -on -one, like I knew it worked. It's been tested like every which way, you know, in all sorts of different applications with all sorts of different kinds of people, all sorts of different kinds of ideas. I was like, I, again, be of use. I, I want to be of use to more people. And so by getting it into book form, it was able to get it to more people in a way that I alone could not do it. Right. Um, the journey to get there was long. Um, not because once I started writing the book that I ended up writing, that that took a long time. That that actually was actually quite straightforward. It took me a long time to realize that I didn't have to write. I didn't have to write like a giant 
Malcolm Gladwellian, Dan Pinky, right. you know, treatise on like this beautiful big idea, which is lovely. And I love both of them. Um, but I think a lot of times when we think about publishing a book, particularly a business book or something along those lines, like that's, we've kind of been trained into that's what, like, that's what a great book, business book looks like. And then one of my dear friends and mentors, a woman named Anne Hanley, wrote a great book called Everybody Writes. You know, I was talking to her about how I just was having such mental block against writing this book. Mm. And she just, she told me, she's like, Tamsin, write the book that's easiest to write. And I was like, oh, well, the easiest book to write for me is the how-to, just like how to do this. Like not the the big whys and the wherefores and why this is so important. It's just like, well, here's what, here's what it is. Here's, here's what I do. Here's how I do it. Um, here you go. Like, mm. so once I decided that what I wanted to write was essentially like you had a Tamsin in your pocket, like to recreate in book form as much as possible what it was like to work with me one-on-one, well, then it became actually quite straightforward. And so I just, I set aside, you know, you know, every weekday morning from nine to 10 and, you know, just knocked out a chapter every two, basically every two weeks and wrote it in the first summer of the pandemic and uh, um, published with page two, which is a wonderful hybrid press out of Vancouver. Um, uh, mostly because I was fairly sure that traditional publishers wouldn't be interested in it because it wasn't a Gladwellian, you know, pinky and right. big idea in that form. Uh, and, you know, and I, I kind of said, well, as long as it does what I want it to do, which is give people a way to do this thing, I'm good with it. Um, and it, and it's done that. And I couldn't, I couldn't be happier. Um, and then it's been fun because then traditional publishers, in this case, audio publishers have come af- after the fact. I'm like, uh, could we do the audio book for it? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So that'll come out. I'm still, I'm recording that later this month. Um, so I think the audio book will probably come out about a year after the print version. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, once I took the expectations off of it, it became a lot easier. Um, and I was very lucky to have a great partner in page two, uh, because, you know, they, they really believe in, you know, their, their definition of partnership is, and we work together on this as an equal exchange of expertise, which I love, um, meaning, you know, they respect what their authors bring to the table and the expertise that their authors have, and they bring theirs and their job. They really see it as not to dominate and say, we know more than you. It's to say, what are you trying to achieve and how do we get there together? And I think they, um, you know, I'm very thankful for that. I'm also thankful that there's not a typo in the book. There's nothing <laughs> that anyone has pointed out to me after, you know, <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait, I've got about 10 more months for someone to find a typo. <laughs> um, so far, no. So I'm going to, you know, I think I'm clear on that. So I was very happy about that. <laughs> well, I love, uh, well, I appreciate you kind of sharing this, your journey, right. And kind of how far you've come since writing it, you know, find, finding good partners or a tribe in page two, heard phenomenal things. And then also a tribe in, uh, you know, or someone like Anne to uh, yeah. kind of assist you in your writing blocks. There was something she wrote in a newsletter the other day about um, like how to, how to like share a good metaphor. And it's just, Oh like, yes. I've, I've got that one flagged to share in my swipe file. Like that, oh, that yeah. newsletter was so good. It was, ma- it was yeah. Great. Metaphors and analogies. It was great. But uh, you know, it, you know, I feel like you're, you're quite like resourceful in that way. And I mean, you, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal just to like hear and also 
you know, you said be useful, you know, maybe for the people who can't afford you or for the people who want to get to execution faster. You're like, here's a book that has five years. There you go. I hope it changes your life. And I I just think it's, um, it's just like write a book out of the blue and said, here you go. It's like, no, it's built off a whole body of experience and expertise and, um, you know, another way for you to make an impact. So what, what an amazing journey for you. Um, the last question, and then we'll tell people where to find you in the book and all the places. And when you kind of look down the journey or vision of your life, you know, I know it's circuitous and will continue to be, you know, unpredictable, but uh, let's just say 10, 15, 20 years out. I mean, what, what do you see? What are some like the things that you like see for yourself or can think that adding to your quilt would uh, make for a, you know, intentional and beautiful life? Yeah, I, um, well, one of the things I want to make sure I hold on to is being able to work with big ideas. Like that's really important to me. Um, and, you know, I'd really love to be able to, to expand the group of people that can, that think that same way and can do that same way. So, I mean, I'm trying to build the, the framework for that now to train other people and the approach so that there's more people out there thinking of this way and doing this way. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I have a call to, to, to continue to learn and to continue to teach. So, um, I wouldn't be surprised if particularly kind of on the closer to like the 10 to 15 year end of that, that if I found my way into academia, I think I'm an academic heart, <laughs> you know, I really am. Um, but I just got, you know, you know, by, once you get four degrees, by the time you're 23, you kind of, you kind of tell yourself you need to slow down for a bit. And so, um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I I have toyed with the idea of getting a PhD. It's something I've been looking looking into for a while now. I think it's realistically it's still a ways off, but um, I just I want there to, you know, it's not really a movement. I just want there to be. I want there to. I hope that this becomes part of the lexicon of how to get ideas out there and how to think about talking with other people. Um, you know, Seth Godin was kind enough to, to endorse my book. There's his, he's got a quote on the back of back cover of it. And it's funny because he, he talks about like, I think the, what he talks about is that it, it's all about, um, how to create change with empathy. And what I loved about what he said about that, like, I don't mention empathy anywhere in the book, but it is hundred percent a foundational concept of it is, is, and particularly the idea of cognitive empathy, understanding what other people are thinking so you can have a better understanding of what they're feeling. Hmm. And I just, if there's some shift I can, even small shift I can make in the world, it's just so that we can do that a little bit better. And it's just to, just to start to, is to help give people the skills to see through other people's eyes so that we can reduce the differences that we think we see. Cause I don't think there are as many as, as it appears on the outside. Yeah. Well, what a uh, beautiful interview. Love Seth's uh, point. I, uh, so, oh, I'll, I'll kind of finish to validate what he said. Not that it really needs validation. We were talking to an executive coach yesterday for our team. And he said to me, you know, the way he works with leaders is, a lot of them are like, yeah, in my head, like, I'm going to go raise this. I'm going to go do this. But, you know, I ask, oh, how are you feeling? And, you know, that create more of that empathetic side and, like, really get in there. And I think you're right. Like, deciphering how someone's feeling by what they're thinking, like, what a, what a profound kind of statement. So the fact that your work, you know, kind of uh, elucidates that, I think is super special. And 
Um, yeah, excited to watch your journey unfold. It seems like going to be a really Thanks, good path. Um, where can people buy your book, find your website, do all the things uh, to contact? Uh, all things they can, they can, they can find the things or find the paths to the things all at tamsinwebster.com. Uh, if they want to go straight to the book, they can just go to redthreadbook.com. Uh, but it's, it's available anywhere online that books are sold. So awesome. yeah, whether that's independent book, you know, porch light for independent bookstores or Barnes and Noble or Amazon or however you want to find it. But uh, you can find all of those links at redthreadbook.com or at tamsinwebster.com. Cool. Well, thank you. What a great interview and a great, great hour that we spent together. Well, thanks so much, Brian. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive our written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com backslash newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.